Right, hello everyone. It's uh, Tuesday night, um, and we it's the Dan and Omar show, and we're chatting this week to Ivan Kevsija, who is going to bring a bit of a, a non-Big Five experience to our show that we've probably ashamedly not touched on yet. We've been very focused on English football and European football and, and broadcast deals in the major leagues, but a good opportunity. Um, Ivan, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself in a moment, but a good opportunity to learn about the landscape, particularly how COVID's impacted the landscape uh, outside the big five leagues, which I think will be of interest to quite a few people who uh, tend to kind of focus on, on the major leagues. So welcome to the show, Ivan. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, exchanging some ideas and sharing experiences. Nice one. Yeah, I was just going to say also, Omar, is a point that we, we probably need to touch more on is that because I think in a way, because generally our expertise or our, my supposed expertise, your actual expertise is more in um, UK and, um, and larger um, European football markets that I think what we probably need to do more of is get particular experts like Ivan in to be able to talk about you know the, the vast majority of the football landscape which isn't just the world revolving around the Premier League and some of the bigger leagues that we were talking about so yeah it's great to have Ivan on just to most importantly hear about how um, football across um, different parts of Europe with all of your experience um, actually works in practice and some of those types of issues which are obviously very different to the ones that come across our desk a lot of the time I think. Yeah so Ivan do you want to give us a bit of a a 101 on your career history because it's quite it's been at some big clubs and some interesting roles uh yeah no i uh, actually i have a coaching background which for a sporting director is quite unusual uh, i started in the youth and uh over the years grew to be an academy director i, I lived and worked in the us for some time uh, before I moved to work for dinamo zagreb one of the most prolific youth academies in europe uh you know getting a uh, a lot of talented players out to the top leagues and um, since then uh, my, my career evolved in the direction of uh, management so uh, my last two roles were sporting directors of uh, Polish champions Legia Warsaw uh, where I held uh, the role as uh, the sporting director and most recently with Hajduk Split uh, another giant uh, in Croatia and, and in the you know developmental phases of, of uh, players formation quite a significant club as well uh, so I, you know, do have maybe a little bit more experience on, on the side in the, what would you consider a minor league from the UK perspective? Oh, yeah, well, we'll, get, we'll get into, um, the, the topic of kind of talent development, um, which is obviously particularly relevant, as you say, for the DMO and, um, and Hydex split. Um, I'm curious, so, you know, with all that experience in, um, in so-called smaller leagues, you know, based on the people that you talk to back at those clubs and, and your experience in those leagues, how are they impacted by COVID right now? Because we obviously know a lot about the big five leagues, probably slightly insulated because of the size of the TV deals, particularly in the Premier League. We've obviously seen issues in France, but I can't imagine the TV deals are that big in, in a lot of these other markets. So how are they coping with, with the impact of COVID? Yeah, I think it's you know quite a difficult time across the world, uh, considering the new restraints that are placed upon clubs. However, it does impact uh, some teams more than others. I'm sure that within your landscape, you can recognize clubs that whose maybe you know owner has difficulties in other businesses, 
uh, and now is started, uh, you know, or stopped funding the club as much as uh, they used to. And then you might have another club that is resilient to that and is maybe uh, doing better in that regard. Uh, I mean, maybe uh, some examples uh, from the from the UK. I don't know. Could be a, a whole city between them and Brentford or or some some team like that. Um, so you you have different experiences across the board of how the clubs are structured, organized, and managed. Um, I had the experience last year in Hajduk Split, which is a club that uh, out of the you know big revenue streams, uh, obviously the has a large following, and and uh, when the fans are are not allowed to the stadium, the match day revenue that is not there heavily impacts the club. Um, but most pro most probably the trickle-down effect from the big leagues uh, that are buying from uh, clubs like Hajduk. Last last two transfers that Hajduk made were uh, Palaversa to Man City, uh, now playing in Ostende, I believe, on loan. And uh, the one before that was uh, uh, Braderic, who went to Lille, also one of the bigger clubs in France. So uh, now those revenue streams are missing because the clubs in those leagues are spending less. Uh, we've seen that significantly reduced over this window. So clubs like Hajduk definitely uh, are, are struggling. And uh, I would not say that it's much different for other Croatian clubs because that same revenue stream is feeding majority of the Croatian clubs. Uh, I believe that you have produced an analysis of the European market. Uh, maybe that's something you could share with the audience of the Croatian league, basically the clubs being most dependent on development uh, and sales of players abroad. So uh, knowing that you are really number one in Europe in that regard, Immediately, that means that the COVID effect, where the reduced transfer spending is happening, is mostly in impacting or largely impacting uh, the clubs in Croatia the most. Yeah, I've got yeah. a graphic up. I don't know, um, Daniel, if you're able to get up on screen. But the um, yeah, Croatian clubs, for every one euro they earn from traditional income, which is match day, uh, uh, match day commercial and, and broadcast revenue, they earn over three euros from um transfer income which is crazy um when you think you know in the context of what you're saying there ivan where this is a revenue stream that is being largely wiped out so you're losing effectively um you know three quarters of your of your revenue stream overnight because of, of covid and uh on top of that you're obviously lacking the um the match day income as well which which for some of these clubs might be substantial as you say it depends and varies from from club to club so, so what, yeah. what are the clubs doing in, in these circumstances? Are they just struggling to get by? Are we going to see clubs going out of business or is this an opportunity for investors to kind of get involved in these leagues? What, what, what's the landscape now? Um, well, you know, some of, the, some of the clubs in Croatia are not really at the maturity level that they have not been privatized. So the places for investors to come in usually is a large delay until you you, you move from a non-profit into a, a status of a club that could be sold so it's more about strategic partnership that maybe you could find that help you bridge the gap um the other way is really last year while i was in Hajduk, really it was zero spending on on incoming transfers so you just have to narrow down we were cutting down the budget for the wages and uh, the same players that that we were targeting before we had to settle for somebody with with half the half the wage or even less 
for the same position. And uh, clearly that's sometimes that is difficult to explain for a club that is aspiring to achieve results. But that is the current reality of, of the Croatian uh, league and, and marketplace. Uh, and as I said, uh, if, if there is not that stream of a hundred million transfer from Barcelona to Liverpool or vice versa, uh, then there is, you know, lacking that multiplier effect that happens across the board, because then they're they're not buying from I don't know Hertha Berlin. Hertha is not buying from Austria Vienna. Austria Vienna is not buying from Croatia. So um, I, I think that that whole chain then gets stopped, and clubs need to just cut cut costs, uh, try to kind of survive, put our heads put our heads down during this period, and, and hope for some better times where there could be an expansion again. I was going to ask, was going to ask was a point, Daniel, you raised in the preamble on Brexit as well. So, you know, the chain's getting stopped because of COVID, but then some leagues are struggling even more because of Brexit. And we spoke about this a few weeks ago around the band in which a league is in um, and the new governing body endorsement is kind of the gold. It can be the golden ticket or it can be the kind of um, jail bars in many ways for some leagues. And you were talking about Hyduk earlier potentially more of a challenge to get players to England now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the Croatia is banned for in that sense, uh, uh, considering uh, to get the work permit in the UK. And uh, for a club like Hajduk that you know might be as well happy to sell a player to a championship club where you know three to five million is, is not an unbelievable uh, figure for for majority of, of championship level clubs. Uh, up until COVID times, at least, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how, how that is going to be now. Uh, however, you know now that that marketplace, where is the, the wealthiest marketplace, where it had an eye for the Croatian players, and some of them that have come in have been doing well, like Šunić from Dinamo was is in Birmingham, uh, a regular starter. Now they took Halilovic. Um, more and more scouts were were following and were were at our. At our matches, and I believe that Croatian league is one of the probably heavily scouted leagues from the from the smaller leagues in Europe. Um, when we were when I was at Hajduk, basically on a, on a weekly basis, you had you know the Chelsea, the Lille, the Fiorentina, the all of the all of the major leagues were represented on, in the stands. So definitely uh, Brexit with these new imposed rules uh, will make it uh, another difficulty for club like ours for for league like ours and for other uh, similar similar uh, level leagues because it will basically reduce uh, a selling market to a, to a smaller pie and, and the wealthiest player is is out of the game yeah omar i was just going to um, mention maybe it's something to to broaden out the discussion for both um, ivan and yourself which oh, is which is uh, we talked about it in a few areas, Brexit, um, European Super Leagues, we talked about it before, we talked about competitive balance um, and competitive balance within um, leagues and obviously Europe more generally. One of the things that we were going to talk about, I think, or prep talking about was um, the UEFA Conference League, for example, the Europa League, obviously Champions League. One of the questions from um, that's come in from, from Philip Draper, um, Ivan, that you might be able to see, but um, is effectively around... Yeah. Um, super uh, effectively either Champions League reform or Super League reform, whichever way you want to call it, or breakaway Super Leagues. Um, and that um, does that does that potential of 
more money going to the bigger clubs in from your perspective of a non-five um non-five league sporting director does that potentially cause more opportunity or less opportunity um i.e there's more transfer spending into other leagues but obviously if there's a finite amount of money this is going to be flowing around the european leagues generally um does does that lead to some you know tension around um competitive balance or otherwise can you get into the europa league is it worthwhile um can you spend more as a result but ultimately you can't get anywhere near competing with some of the big five teams on a on a yearly basis yeah yeah um well actually last year croatian league has you know 10 clubs in the first division and and uh, between the cup winner another four spots were awarded to champions league and europa league spots but next year because of the you know country's coefficient in the last five years there will be the champion will be competing for the champions league spot in the qual through the qualifiers again and then the next uh, two teams plus the cup winner will be going to the conference league okay. so um, if you put in in context uh, the numbers that were so far flowing in order if you go into the group stage of champions league i think the prize money is between 50 and 20 million euros so that is a huge chunk of money uh, for a, a club like Hajduk had uh, between 10 and 15 million depending on the year yearly budget so that is that is a huge prize uh, to be awarded uh, whereas europa league uh, i think maybe more, though more appropriate for the level uh, awarded you know uh, probably around 3 million to get into the group stages i'm not exactly sure what uh, conference league is going to be awarding but if it's half of that it's still not significant that it you know makes uh, or breaks the whole club however it does i think provide an opportunity for smaller teams from smaller leagues to be on the european scene and find equivalent partners because for for Hajduk to be playing internationally against let's say my former club like yeah, Warsaw, you that, that's still an important match and i think that that's that's a match that is exciting that is a match that uh finds you know common ground uh, in terms of level and uh i think would attract the interest of of both sides to play to play in such a match so I, I do think that you know having another tier with the conference league will be positive um in regards to introduction of the super league uh that is coming along I, i'm you know not a big fan of that because i think it will grow inequalities uh, across the board and i think maybe some of these uh, adaptations that ufa is making are, are a buffer in order to in order to avoid going in that direction um where the you know the elite i don't know 10 or 20 would totally separate themselves from the rest because it's even now hard to compete mm. i think there's i think the point you make around the conference league you know finding other teams at your level just having the experience of playing you know having european match days in another country for your own players that's great you know it's, it's good to sell players as well because it's a good kind of platform for, for them to perform yes in um yeah so sorry to interrupt you but sorry to interrupt you but basically when when i was looking at players from leagues that i did not really understand the level of having them play in a europa league match even if it's a qualifier against somebody whose level i understand better was very very helpful to evaluate the level and um, i remember when i was at legia we looked at a couple of players of, of ostersunds for example and i to be honest i was not that particularly aware 
of what is the level of that team within that league, blah, blah, blah. But then we sent a scout to watch Ostersunds play uh, Real Sociedad, or I'm not sure exactly if it was it Bilbao, whoever was that in that group stage. And then I have a much better feeling for that for that player, for that level. So having this international platform, I think, is unbelievably important uh, also from that regard. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and we've, we hear that a lot from... Clubs. Obviously, clubs can are welcome to use our World Super League as well, which which gives a, a, a strong indication of the level of teams as well. But the there's a lot of kind of sniffiness, I think, from the big five leagues around the Conference League, and it being this kind of you know, Europe, Europa League bad enough. Why would we want to compete in this third league? But you know, it's an opportunity potentially even to win something as a Dinamo Zagreb and a and a Legia Warsaw. Um, you know, and European trophies. If you went back 30 years, we had Star Bucharest and clubs like that winning yes. Uh, yes. European Cups. That's just unimaginable now. So yes, yes, we, we need to find a way of, of recapturing some of that. Yeah, I agree, and I do think that um, it's hard, you know, for to somebody at, at Arsenal to understand what it would mean for um, Dinamo Zagreb, Hajduk Split, Legia Warsaw. Uh, uh, how much energy that would generate towards football, how much excitement that would be when these type of clubs uh, find even matches across the board and they're competitive to, to, to fight for a trophy, to go far and, and, and well advanced. Uh, this year, Dinamo Zagreb, I think, is in the last 16 of the Europa League, which also not, a, not an insignificant uh, success now repeated you know, over, over the last three years. So I do think that generating this type of opportunities that conference league maybe might not be interesting for a Leicester who is you know having a full schedule already uh fighting uh, across the board uh, uh in a very the toughest competition in the world maybe um how that could not be super exciting uh on the other hand it might be beneficial for them uh because it does provide another opportunity to to measure themselves across internationally in maybe leagues that they will be buying from, that they also do not understand, just like I did not understand what is what is Ostersunds in Sweden until I saw them play internationally. So from that point of view, I think it's beneficial for them because it gets, gets them a better understanding of the level. Um, for example, Hajduk, before I arrived, played a, a Europa League qualifier against Everton. And just out of those two matches, uh, Everton bought uh, Nikola Vlasic from Hajduk because they were able to compare his performance with, versus their own defender. Now he's doing really well in CSK Moscow and, and everybody's everybody's happy and it would have never happened if there was not a matchup like that internationally. Yeah, it's amazing how almost like a, a draw, like which a random draw can dictate a play. It's almost, we talk about football being quite meritocratic, but actually there's a yeah. lot of... Uh, no, no. <laughs> no, not, 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 not as much as we would wish it to be. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, Omar, I was just going to ask one more point. I'm going slightly off tangent for a second now, but um, and maybe we'll come back on for a second. But I was just wanting Omar just to chat to Ivan about, you know, more more generally um, his role at the particular at the particular clubs because there's obviously this really big debate, especially in the UK, and that's how I'm just anchoring it back as to the role of a sporting director and a technical director more generally. Um, and obviously there's pushback um, at different clubs depending on the structures um, that, that are in place. Whereas on the continent, across Europe and the world for a long period of time, 
technical and sporting directors um, have been the mainstay and as part of the, the furniture for, for clubs, whereas um, it seems that England, to a degree, has been playing catch-up for some time. Um, would it be possible, just because it might be interesting, but just to demystify things a bit, to explain what, what, your, what your actual day-to-day -day role effectively was and linking, I guess, most of the on-field departments together in that, in that sporting director, technical director role? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's still an evolving field, to be fair. And uh, I don't think that uh, all the answers are there yet. However, football, I think, has realized that it's too serious of an industry where you know money is is not never ending it maybe as, as it was in the past in in many places uh and the clubs are looking to more sustainability and how to basically achieve more out of what they're having out of their resources uh, and because of that they're looking for strategy they're looking for sense they're looking for meaning they're looking for direction something that will consistently stay and in that regard i do think that the role of the sporting director has been growing uh, internationally, but also in England. Um, I know that the traditional English model was a manager who basically was uh, covering both the coaching on the pitch and um, role of the sporting director in one. However, uh, I think that if if you have to look into consideration the, the circumstances, the circumstances are that players that a club has usually are on a three to five year contracts, and uh, just by diverging. Uh, uh, significantly from one way of recruitment to another way of recruitment, it's very costly for the club. Um, you manage change much more often than that, unfortunately or unfortunately, however you want to put it, it's, it's, it's a trend. Um, I would say unfortunately because I, I come from the coaching background and I, <laughs> I empathize with the coach knowing, knowing how important that role is within the club. I think the sporting director role is growing to to be somebody who is the bridge and, and gives the whole sportive side uh, strategy, uh, sense and planning. And, and those kind of words are becoming more and more important uh, so that you are now able to bring in um, basically a coach that fits within the philosophy of the pl players that you already have um, because the, the changes uh, as uh, changing the players are impossible as, as often as you change the coach because they're tied to contracts and that becomes very, very expensive. So the clubs that are, I think, overachieving are the ones that have uh, decided to follow a pathway, whatever that pathway is, whatever that style of play is, whatever, but, but it's a chosen pathway and now it's consistent in terms of recruitment, in terms of uh, building a squad, in terms of reaching certain KPIs, etc. So... Uh, in my experience, was more of that was expected from me. When I came to Legia, it was, uh, we need to youngen the squad. It's too old. We need to maybe uh, open some opportunities for a young player to come up that then will be generating value in outgoing transfers. So uh, clearly there is some conflicts that it creates uh, between the, the coach who has obviously a short-term mindset which which they should have and when i was a coach i also was thinking about saturday's or, or sunday's match uh whereas a sporting director needs to be thinking you know three to five years in advance at the same time as respecting that we need to do well this weekend uh so you're basically introducing somebody who will have both a, a long-term and a short-term view 
to your club structure and uh, finding a good good place uh, and try to find a good uh, generating uh, uh, strategic form uh, in that person. Um, well, then basically there are philosophies then within how you want to do that. How much are you going to rely on the coach to be bringing his own staff? How much of, of your own staff will you have regardless of the coach? Uh, how much of uh, players will you know will you be relying on the coach to be bringing in from his own network, or how much your network should be within the club regardless of the coach that is there, etc., uh, etc. Et so I, I do think that uh, the trend is really dictated by the clubs being. Um, more strategically oriented and trying to get the most out of the resources they have. Mm -hmm. I had a few questions come in. I'm trying to pick out. Um, maybe we can do a little bit of quick fire. So, uh, Michael Edwards, uh, director, of football, sporting director, this technical director. Same thing. I think it's just a matter of semantics of how you're going to do. You could have multiple of those uh, within the club. Uh, e even if you uh, uh, maybe a, a sporting director, uh, I, uh, some, I for example did not have a head of recruitment, but yeah. if I did have that type of a role, would be taking a large chunk of that conversation uh, off my plate. So really depends on on the level of the organization. Big clubs like Liverpool, Chelsea. I mean, these guys have uh, loans pathway managers, and that is uh, something that a smaller club usually cannot afford to have. But I think it's a fantastic thing to have in bigger clubs that have players on loan that they need to worry about how they're doing and stay close to them. So um, I think for now it's a matter of semantics, but it's more about the job description and the power that these guys are actually have to make decisions. I think we could have you on for another episode, another point on youth football, given your experience. I, was, I wanted to ask a lot more around Dinamo okay. and, and, and you know the success of Adler there and how easy it is to replicate. But I think that could be an easier half-hour discussion. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I guess so. I think uh, there was another interesting one, just about you know uh, it was who's a uh, gentian uh, asking about uh, the development of other Eastern European leagues: Albania, Kosovo, Bosnia, Serbia, Macedonia. Now, these will be very foreign leagues to, to myself and Daniel and to a lot of other people listening in. Where, yeah. What are the leagues to watch, let's say, in, in some of the small Eastern European markets? Well, look, these all or the leagues listed are pretty much the leagues where uh, they understand a club like Hajduk, right? If I go to Greece and I go to a player from a small team in Greece, uh, they will not be excited about coming to play for Hajduk. But if you go to Kosovo or Bosnia or Macedonia, Hajduk is going to be a big club for them in their in their mind. Um, it pays higher wages than they're paid in those countries in general. Um, so I do think that it's a natural thing having some you know some parts of the language in common, culturally a similar fit. Historically, players from Bosnia, Macedonia, Albania, uh, Kosovo have been doing really well in Croatia. More and more Serbian players are in are in across the board in Croatia, uh, and vice versa. Some Croatian players in playing in Serbia. Um, so I do think that it's natural to see that there is uh, scouting across the across the board, and I do think that they're also becoming a little bit more and more sophisticated as time goes. More and more, uh, um, you know, West Western planning strategic thought is coming in sustainability as the word that is conquering more of these leagues because they 
everybody wants to overachieve, right? And that's why we're all here. We're all training hard, working hard as the players on the pitch, uh, as us in the in the offices. That we're trying to support them in that. And uh, I also I, I do think that there is plenty of talent in this area. You know, uh, not not often has been said that the Balkans are, you know, the European Brazil. Uh, because of you know a lot of talented football footballers coming out of this area, and um, football is the culture. You know, it's it's their religion. It's the main sport, and uh, seeing the the passion and enthusiasm that all of these you know kids have. Daniel, any thoughts or comments? No, I think it's really good, and Ivan, I hope you don't mind if um, uh, you'd be interested in coming on in the next few months just to talk about development. I almost think, uh, Omar, that come the the summer market, it might be a really interesting one almost to be like, you know, um, what are some of those trends for the the summer market going to be like? And I think Ivan would be in a great position to be able to to offer some insights to, as well as your stuff on that you mentioned. Obviously, we didn't quite get to on the, the youth side of things too. Yeah, absolutely. No, I do appreciate the opportunity to um, share some ideas and experiences with you guys. And uh, thank you for having me. And I would be happy to join you in the future as well. Great. Thanks, Ivan. And uh, thanks, everyone, for, for listening and watching. We'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the done deal football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book done deal an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally and via audible all links are in the podcast show notes lastly podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand i've started all proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by john Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years you can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt hoodie cap or all three please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk that's 13shop.co.uk Thanks for listening.